Please be seated. And will you join me in prayer? May the words of my mouth and the prayers of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Amen. Now I'm going to let you in on a little secret about sermon writing. The title that looks good on Monday is not necessarily what the message ends up being on Sunday morning. So my sermon title of the deception of perception, which sounded very profound uh, when my title was due on Monday morning, ended up not being where the spirit was moving. So instead, I will be preaching on holy rest. This past May, I traveled to the mountains of Colorado with a few friends of mine from Divinity School to attend a Buddhist retreat center. We were interested in learning about Buddhist meditation practices and this particular community's rituals of rhythm and rootedness. Our intention was to enliven our own prayer lives by exposing ourselves to another religion's practices of contemplation and reflection. I'd like to say I came out of that experience with a deeper sense of my place in creation and my relationship with divine. What I can tell you is that I learned I am completely addicted to my cell phone. Spending time away from email and texting and Facebook in meditation for three hours a day was excruciating for me. I'd let out a deep exhale upon leaving each meditation session and immediately grabbed the phone out of my pocket. I had spent the previous hour absolutely convinced that I had missed a crucial email or a life-changing phone call. And on the last day of our retreat, a friend asked me, now Alana, have you ever had a time when you weren't multitasking or running around to check the next item off of your to-do lists? My friends know I love to-do lists. And I was embarrassed to admit, no. I could not remember a time when I had just sat still. Even on my honeymoon, I was checking my email a couple of times a day. It's bad. And then she said to me, remember, Alana, constant growth is cancer. Constant growth is cancer. Those words have haunted me ever since. Now her response might sound overly dramatic, overly dramatic for the situation, but that image certainly caught my attention and has changed my own relationship with technology. Because how can we rest or sustain ourselves if we are constantly inputting new information? Now, rest can be difficult for us in our culture. 
I know I'm not alone. We often think of rest as a temporary break between bouts of productivity. We are overburdened and overscheduled. During work, our eyes are glued to technology-lit screens, preventing us from getting a good night's sleep. And paradoxically, our idea of getting rest often looks like lounging around on a couch with those same lit screens, texting friends, scrolling through Instagram, or binge watching the next show on Netflix. And then we return to work, that work that we interrupted with our so-called rest. It's so easy to fritter away time with activities that take up energy and are neither purposeful nor restful. Now, I'm not suggesting that technology is inherently evil or using it is sinful. In fact, technology can be used for tremendous good. Issues, however, arise when it prevents us from experiencing life or witnessing what is happening around us and within us. Jesus understood the need for Sabbath. After days of teaching and healing, it was Jesus' pattern to hide away to a lonely place, to pray and to rest. He was a pastor always running away from his congregation. Jesus saw this rest time as his time to replenish his soul and to commune with God. And today, Jesus invites us to share in this spiritual practice. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Distractions prevent us from seeing those around us and witnessing how God is at work in them. With a scattered mind, it's all too easy to reduce one another to caricatures. In today's gospel lesson, Jesus addresses a crowd who have dismissed the legitimacy of both John the Baptist and him. On one hand, they perceive John as a social misfit, a throwback prophet, a demon. He is too unworldly and his message is too threatening. On the other hand, they portray Jesus as a glutton and a drunkard who hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. His message of unconditional love and forgiveness is not spiritual enough. Jesus compares the crowd to children who cannot decide if they want to play funeral games or wedding games, and they end up playing neither. The crowd discounts both John and Jesus, only to evade the call of either. Often we want our saviors to look like us. We want to presume that God is at work in those who think like us. And too distracted by superficialities, we forget that God often raises up those voices that are other than our own. 
Distractions can prevent us from seeing God at work around us, but also at work within us. As humans, we like to make things complicated. Given the choice between making the way easy and making the way hard, we often veer in the direction of difficulty. Poet Jan Richardson reflects, I've learned my soul often needs to have something to push against, something to forge it and form it. There's a difference, though, between the complications and complexities that forge the soul and those that drain it. We take on too much or avoid that thing that needs our attention or spend too much time or energy worrying. In the fog of our distractedness, we are all too capable of manufacturing complications rather than waiting for the ones that arise when we walk with Christ. Come to me, you all. We are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are powerful and evocative words that have comforted afflicted people for ages. I, however, have struggled with the yoke imagery. On the surface, a yoke connotates bondage and subjugation, a burden placed upon us, and something that we have to pull alone. When speaking with a friend about my struggle with this yoke imagery, she offered an alternative interpretation. My imagination was conjuring up images of a single yoke. But what if Jesus was imagining a double yoke, designed for working animals to pull in tandem? How might, it be to, how might it be to imagine a double yoke, not for servitude, not for bondage, but a way of being in relationship with Christ that makes our work easier, not more difficult? Now, it's a challenge for me to buy the idea that Jesus' yoke is easy and that his burden is light. In fact, there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. Perhaps Christ did not mean that walking with him is uncomplicated, but rather that when we focus on our relationship with him, the journey unfolds before us with less struggle and less striving on our part. Yoking ourselves to Christ helps us to discern how to move in a direction that is more life-giving and wisdom-generating. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. The rest of which he speaks 
is different than the preoccupied, half-hearted one that so many of us know so well. The word rest here is perhaps better translated as what comes when a task or process it has been completed. It marks that the work has come to an end and that we have completed our job. Rest is not a distraction from the work cycle, but a part of it. In our culture, how often do we get a sense of Jesus's rest, of that completion? Jesus speaks of a rest when a job taken on with purpose and deliberateness has an end in sight and therefore has the real possibility of rest. It can be difficult in a relentless world like ours where we don't know when things begin and where they end. It can seem as if phones are meant always to be used. So using a phone deliberately and then turning it off after its purpose is complete is tough. Being deliberate about our relationships with one another. Mourning with grieving neighbors. Playing with children who need to see our love and generosity. That can be challenging if we are continually distracted. Upon leaving the Buddhist retreat center, I spoke with one of the seasoned meditation practitioners. I expressed frustration with my difficulty meditating. And she said, being alone with ourselves is hard. That's when we're left to confront the totality of our humanity. Being deliberate in our relationship with ourselves Perhaps that's the most difficult of all. Listening for our inner guidance, accepting and loving ourselves, learning what forges our soul instead of draining it. Perhaps that's why it's so easy to distract ourselves from nurturing and tending to the relationship that we have with ourselves. And yet there is good news, friends, for we do not walk this journey alone. By yoking ourselves to the Christ who labors beside us, we are offered a kind of everlasting forgiveness, unconditional love, and eternal rest that only he can offer. May the church say, Amen.